Hi, uh, so as Andrea said, I'm going to be talking about um, how valuable it is to extend lives of different ages, specifically talking about um, adults of different ages. So there's a bunch of other kinds of considerations that come into play when we're talking about um, infants, and I'm not going to discuss them today. Uh, so I think since you all came to an effective altruism conference, you're basically on board with the idea that we have a finite number of resources, and we've got to try and work out um, how we can help people the most with the resources that we have. So if we're deciding uh, which charities to uh, give to in the realm of health, or if we're a government working out how we should uh, use our health resources, um, the first metric that we might think of using is how many lives can we save with a certain amount of money. But that's problematic because uh, when you save a life, that doesn't actually mean the person's going to live forever. And people live very different lengths of time. So if you saved someone and then five minutes later they were run over by a bus, that doesn't seem nearly as good as if you save someone's life and they go on to live another happy 50 years. In that case, we might think that what we actually care about is uh, saving years of life. But that doesn't take everything into account either, because it would mean that we weren't doing anything good if we cured people of uh, blindness, say. So in that case, we might want to use uh, years of healthy life instead. So what this would mean um, is that if we were deciding between saving the life of someone who was 40 or 70, we'd plausibly want to save the life of the person who was 40 because they've got way more time ahead of them and also they're going to be healthier for that time. But if we're deciding whether to uh, give the person another year of healthy life, maybe we've got some treatment and they've both got the same disease um, and we could treat them each for a year, uh, we shouldn't mind which of those two things we do. One of the things that's important to keep in mind here is um, when I talk about someone having a certain health, or, um, uh, I mean it in a somewhat more of an absolute sense than you might usually think of it as. So you might think that um, a really healthy 70-year-old still isn't in the same, uh, same situation as a healthy 40-year-old. Because even if they're basically uh, healthy, they're not as fit, they wouldn't be able to run as far. Um, and I want you to try and ignore those kinds of things and imagine uh, that when we're talking about people of different ages, they're genuinely the same amount healthy and fit, etc. So the structure of my talk uh, is going to be, I'm going to start off by um, discussing how we feel about uh, extending older versus younger lives. Um, the idea of uh, just caring about maximizing the number of uh, healthy years of life indicates that we shouldn't mind, like I said, between giving a year of healthy life to a 40-year-old or a 70-year-old. Um, but I'm going to show that actually it turns out that most people do have an intuition that it matters which of those two you do. If that's the case, then uh, we really need to work out um, why we have that intuition. Firstly, to see whether we're justified in having it and whether we ought to set uh, health priorities based on that, and also to work out uh, how we should do it, so how much we should uh, value extending younger rather than older lives. Um, so I'll consider, first of all, the uh, moral principles that might justify that and what kinds of implications they have. I'm going to show that they don't uh, seem as compelling as the intuition we have that we should do this, and therefore go on to look at the empirical factors that might be causing uh, the intuitions. And then finally, I'm going to discuss some of what the implications might be of, uh, of 
what's underlying our principles. I'm going to try hard to keep this accessible for uh, non-philosophers. Um, I might fail, uh, sorry if I use uh, the wrong terms, but also that means that I'm going to skip over some philosophical concepts pretty quickly. I'm happy to discuss them later if people would like to. Uh, so first of all, what are our intuitions about uh, extending lives? Uh, consider this thought experiment. Yuan's 30. She's been in the civil service for a few years and is looking forward to having a family soon. Olga's 70. She retired a couple of years ago from a successful career as a teacher and is now enjoying retirement. Uh, for those of you who aren't philosophers, philosophers do these kinds of thought experiments all the time and the idea of the details is so that you can get some picture of what you really feel you should do in the situations. So these two are on a cruise together and unfortunately they both fall overboard and we've only got one lifesaver. So which should we throw it to? It seems pretty clear that we ought to throw it to Yuan. It seems like uh, her life's being cut tragically short, uh, unlike Olga, who would still enjoy her life, um, but it just seems more fair to send it to Yuan. You might think that there's a couple of confounding factors in here um, that I've discussed before. Yuan's got, uh, would live far longer if we threw it to her than Olga. You might think that uh, over the next period, she's going to be much healthier than Olga would be. To try and get rid of uh, those kinds of confounding factors, um, consider the idea that uh, we failed to send the lightsaber to either of them, but we do manage to pull both of them uh, back on board. Unfortunately, they've inhaled too much seawater and they're both going to die. Um, we've got one treatment which would keep someone uh, alive and healthy for a year, after which they would die painlessly. So now our question is, who do we give that one treatment to? Now, it seems to me that we have an intuition that uh, even though they would both want this extra year of life, they'd both be equally healthy and uh, enjoy it as much, we still should uh, give the treatment to Yuan. That seems like the fairer thing to do. Um, now you might think I was just trying to trick you with uh, uh, this thought experiment, but uh, this kind of intuition does seem to be one that holds in society in general. Um, Cropper, Aided, and Courtney um, did a survey of about 2,000 households in the US, um, and they found that for their median respondent, uh, people thought that saving uh, one 20-year-old was about equivalent to saving seven 60-year-olds. Another study was done in Australia, um, asking people about health priorities and which projects they would prioritise, uh, and they found that people typically would prioritise younger people, which they took partly to be an indication that we should be trying to maximise the number of years of healthy life lived, but they actually found that even irrespective of the benefit derived, so uh, even if you were talking about giving a healthy year of life to a younger person or an older person, people would still prioritize projects going to younger people. Johannesson and Johansson did a study somewhat similar to um, Cropper's, where they asked people about saving lives, um, and then they explicitly accounted for the fact that uh, some people will live longer and for health, in order to work out how um, people would equate years of healthy life going to people of different ages. And they found that for their median respondent, 
uh, one year of healthy life for a 30-year-old was uh, roughly equivalent to three years of healthy life for a 50-year-old or nine for a 70-year-old. So one thing that these things show is that uh, people typically seem to have the intuition that we should extend uh, younger lives rather than older lives, again, meaning young adult rather than older adult. Another thing is that um, it doesn't seem clear precisely how much by, because these studies actually uh, don't give quite the same weighting to uh, different, uh, to extending lives at younger and older times. So it seems like we have this general intuition, but uh, people don't have it to quite the same extent, and they don't give quite the same weightings. Um, so if we have this kind of uh, if we have this kind of intuition that we should extend younger rather than <clears throat> older lives, or that it's more important to do so, um, then presumably we should be taking this into account to some degree when uh, determining health policy. So I'll just briefly discuss um, how we currently do that. Um, probably most of you are uh, familiar with qualies and dallies. Um, so uh, quali is a quality adjusted life year. One year of life at perfect health, um, and uh, Dali is disability-adjusted life year, which is roughly similar except the uh, inverse. So, whereas you're trying to increase the number of qualies in the world, you're trying to decrease the number of Dalis. Um, and each of these uh, are weighted for people at uh, different states of health, so that they can take into account both mortality and morbidity. Um, as it is, they uh, rate all years of healthy life as the same, regardless of what age the person is. But they can be weighted depending on the age of the person in order to take into account caring more about extending lives to different ages. And this has been explicitly done, um, particularly with DALIs. So the Global Burden of Disease uh, is a study of mortality and morbidity throughout the world um, that's been done roughly every decade. and. The 1990 and 2000 Global Burden of Disease um, used DALIs and age-weighted the DALIs. Um, it had the peak weighting for life at young adulthood. So very early on in life, it uh, gave low weighting to um, averting DALIs, then uh, increased so that people around uh, 20 were weighted at, uh, full, at the full amount and then gradually decreased, never reaching zero, so that it's always good to save a person's life, but it becomes uh, less so the older they are. Um, so, as I said, um, if we have this uh, intuition, it's pretty important to work out uh, why we have it, both so that we can see whether we ought to continue having it, and also what the age weighting should look like. So although the 1990 and uh, 2000 global burden of disease weighted DALIs, the uh, most recent one, 2010, took out the age weighting. Um, it seems like the main reason for this was to make it conceptually simpler um, so that people un understood what was uh, happening in it and didn't feel that there were assumptions they disagreed with going in. And the fact that they did this uh, doesn't actually mean that we can't or shouldn't take age weighting into account. Um, you might think that actually it's pretty useful to have a study that just tells us about uh, mortality and morbidity, and then when we're setting uh, government health priorities, at that point we should work out how much we care about DALIs at different ages. 
Um, but both in order to work out whether we ought to do that and also how we should do it, so what our function of age weighting should look like. <coughs> we should have some idea of why we're doing it. Um, so one reason that might be is that there's a moral principle uh, justifying the idea that uh, extending lives is just intrinsically more valuable at younger rather than older ages. And that's the possibility I'm going to start off with. And various philosophers have thought that uh, there is a moral principle like that. Heinenberg and Leggett say, uh, we think there's a fundamental difference between the desirability of being alive within the limits of the average life expectancy and the desirability of being alive beyond those limits. John Hardwick goes even further and thinks that, uh, in fact, people can have a duty to die. So he thinks that later on uh, in someone's life, uh, they just ought to be making way for new people rather than continuing to use up resources. And Leon Cass agrees uh, with that, saying that there's a need for human renewal, by which he means we need to allow new generations to come up and uh, we shouldn't allow older generations to continue using the world's resources. Uh, it seems to me that the most likely kind of moral principle underlying this is likely to be something to do with fairness, some idea that it's uh, just fairer for... Um, us to extend the lives of younger people rather than the lives of older people. Uh, in the case of Yuan and Olga, that seemed kind of the case. It seemed fairer to give the treatment to Yuan rather than to Olga. I'm going to be using uh, fairness in this case in kind of a broad sense. Uh, you might think that fairness was purely comparative, so something was unfair on you compared to the people around you. Uh, but I think that actually it could be the case that even if there was just one person in the world, uh, life could be unfair on them. So, uh, yeah, that's a fairly broad use of, of fair, and I'm going to be working out how we actually ought to cash out this fairness. Um, I'm going to discuss three ways in which we could interpret this fairness. Um, the first one is to say that um, equality is valuable in itself. And this would apply to uh, life extension if we thought that um, there was value in people having roughly equal lengths of life. The second is that there might be some particular length of life that's enough life for a person. So once they've gotten up to that age, they've had their fair share of life. And then the final one I'll discuss uh, is the idea that we should help people more the worse off they are. So what that would mean in terms of life extension would be the less life they've had so far, the more important it is to extend their life. Another thing that's important to uh, work out before looking at those specific theories is the metric of fairness that I'm going to use in terms of whole lives or time slices. Uh, to illustrate this, consider uh, Yuan and Olga again before they fell overboard. Uh, say that Olga had a really terrible migraine and Yuan had a mild headache. And we had a painkiller that we could give either of them. You might think that it was fairer to give it to Olga. The reason is that she's just in much more pain. The reason we have that sense is that we're comparing them at that particular time. So at that time, Olga is much worse off than Yuan is. So that would be taking a time slice view of fairness. On the other hand, after they've been in the water and we've pulled them out again, if we use a time slice view, they're both equally badly off. So both of them are gonna die if they don't get this treatment. And if you do give them the treatment, they'll each have one more year uh, which they'll enjoy and they would like, etc. So if we took a time slice view of fairness, then it would seem that we 
wouldn't have reason to think we should give the treatment to Yuan rather than giving it to Olga. The reason that uh, we might think that we ought to give it to Yuan is if we take a whole lives view of things. We take all the time they've had so far into account and determine that uh, Yuan has been much worse off so far throughout life than Olga has. So for all of the um, theories that I'm going to look at, I'm going to take the metric to be people's whole lives rather than just how well off they are at this point. So the first uh, way we might cash out fairness is uh, to say that it matters that people are equally well off. So the reason that we would want to extend Yuan's life in this case is that uh, if we extend her life, it'll be uh, the difference between the length of life she lives and the length of life that Olga lives will be smaller than it would have been if we'd extended Olga's life. Uh, I think there are a few stock objections to this kind of egalitarian theory, um, and I think that uh, extending lives illustrates them well, so I'm going to um, fairly briefly go through these. I'm happy to discuss them more, though. Um, so the first problem is what's called the levelling down objection. So the idea of the levelling down objection is that uh, if equality is more valuable, then if you make a society uh, more equal by making the better off people worse, then there's something good about that. So consider the fact that right now, quite a few people die at age 30. Everyone died at age 30, then that would be a more equal society. So if you, valued, uh, fair, if you valued equality intrinsically, then you'd say there'd be something better about the world if everyone died at 30. Note that you don't have to say that the world would be overall better off, because you probably don't just value equality, you'd also value uh, other things, like a uh, healthy life. But it seems kind of plausible that, in fact, there's just nothing better about a world in which everyone dies at 30. It's not just that it's uh, worse overall, it's worse in every way. Uh, you might think that I was being unfair on egalitarianism to level this objection to it because uh, what that assumes is that it's uh, equality in the end state of affairs that matters. So that's assuming telic uh, egalitarianism. A different way in which uh, you might think that this applied was to say that what matters is treating people equally uh, in your actions. So that would be a more uh, deontic egalitarian theory. But um, I don't think that deontic egalitarianism can really justify our intuition because uh, if we consider our, uh, giving the treatment to Yuan and Olga, it seems like if we were going to treat, the, uh, treat them equally at that point, we would just flip a coin as to which one of them we would give the treatment to. It seems that the reason that we would care about uh, giving it to Yuan rather than Olga is that we care about the fact that uh, the world would be such that if we gave it to Olga, there would be more inequality in it. So it seems that to justify this intuition, we actually have to take a telic view, and therefore it would be prone to the levelling down objection. Uh, another reason for thinking that uh, an egalitarian theory is kind of questionable, um, it's been called by Paula Kausel the uh, deprivation argument. So you might think that... Um, this kind of theory is inherently relative. It's saying that uh, what's bad about Yuan's situation is that she's worse off than Olga. It's just comparing between the two. You might think that actually what's bad about Yuan's situation is that she's badly off, 
If Olga wasn't there, it would still be just as bad to die at 30. And this is kind of plausible when we think about uh, the case of poverty. It seems like what's really bad about poverty is that uh, you have a difficult life and you don't have all of the things that you need, not that you're just worse off than someone else. Um, and then a third reason we might think that egalitarianism uh, was questionable is uh, the abundance argument. So we've been considering uh, Yuan and Olga, who are uh, around 30 and 70, but now consider two people who are much older. One of them's uh, 1,030 and one of them's 1,070. In this kind of case, uh, there's still the same difference between them in terms of uh, absolute length of life. So it seems like we should still think that we need to save uh, Yuan rather than Olga in order to minimize the inequality between them. But at this point, it just doesn't seem nearly as clear that we should care which of the two uh, we extend the life of. It seems like both of them have had really long, happy lives, and maybe we just don't mind anymore. So again, this seems to indicate that maybe it's not underlying equality that we're caring about. <coughs> Uh, another thing that we uh, might be thinking underlies our intuition that we should extend younger rather than older lives is that there's some particular length of life to which people are entitled. There's some fair share of life, and once they've had their fair share, we no longer have the same obligations to extend their life. Uh, a really strong version of this theory would say that once people have had their uh, fair share of life, once they're over the threshold, we don't have any obligations to extend their life, and saving their life is no longer a good thing. That seems pretty implausible, it seems like however old someone is, you're doing a good thing by saving their life, and it continues to be valuable. But this theory doesn't actually have to take that really strong view it could take a weaker view by uh, according to which extending someone's life is always a good thing, but there's some kind of uh, added pressure to do so when they're below the threshold. But if we're going to take this kind of view, we need to know where that threshold actually is. Uh, one kind of natural place to put it seems to be uh, at human's natural lifespan. Um, as Jeff McMahon points out, it seems that We'd be pretty happy to say that a dog lived a fortunate life if uh, it lived for 15 years, but we'd be very unwilling to say that a human had lived a fortunate life if they, were, uh, if they lived to 15. Um, note that there definitely could have been good things about it, and we would want to say that it was good that their life had happened, but we would want to say that all things considered, they were unfortunate. Unlike the dog, who all things considered might be fortunate. On the other hand, this seems uh, objectionably speciesist. It seems like uh, if we had the possibility to extend a dog's life from 15 to 70, maybe we had uh, the opportunity to make sure that the dog had the same well-being that a human might have in that case, uh, it would be kind of unfair to then say, oh, but it's had 15 years, it's had a fortunate dog life, I don't see any good reason to extend its life further. Species also seems like kind of an arbitrary cutoff. So why is it that uh, what matters for how uh, long, how much time we're entitled to, that that's the length of time that our species is, compared to, say, the length of time that primates typically live, or maybe the length of time that our relatives uh, live to, if I'm from a particularly long-lived family. 
Uh, McMahon also agrees with this and, and rejects this kind of species relative account um, in favour of an account that's to do with um, innate potential. So the idea is that um, there's some fair share of life that you're entitled to, and that fair share um, is determined by your innate potential. So one nice thing about this is, uh, say that we are in a situation where we could uh, <coughs> genetically modify a dog such that it could live to 70 and experience the same kinds of well-being as us. Uh, then, if we did that, its innate potential would be to live for 70 years, and we then should ensure that it does so. On the other hand, uh, consider someone, uh, consider a person who suffers from progeria. Uh, progeria is a really nasty disease that means that someone ages prematurely, and they typically die in their teens. Because it's a genetic condition, it seems that, in fact, they only have the innate potential to live to their uh, to teenagehood. And so this kind of account would say that uh, what it meant for them to live a fortunate life actually just was to live to around 17. Another problem is that it's kind of unclear what's meant by uh, innate potential in terms of... Uh, so someone clearly couldn't actually get to 70 without eating at all, so you might think that innate potential was to do with you know, your genetic makeup, but also taking in some food and etc. But once you're doing that, what about uh, genetic enhancements that we could make or medicines that we could give you? It seems kind of unclear. Um, to take a step back, a different way that we might want to work out uh, what a person's fair innings is, is to go back to the two arguments I discussed before, the deprivation argument and the abundance argument, which seem to uh, justify the idea of there being some threshold. So the deprivation argument said that what's bad about Yuan's position um, is that she's being deprived, her life's being cut tragically short. It seems that that argument um, would say that someone's natural threshold was somewhere around 60 or 70. It's very plausible that someone who uh, lives longer than that uh, is enjoying their life and doing well, but it no longer seems quite the case that if someone uh, dies at 85, they're actually being deprived, or that their life's being cut tragically short in the sense in which Yuan's is. So it seems like the deprivation argument would uh, give, put the threshold at somewhere below 70. Um, the abundance argument, on the other hand, appealed to this idea that when we're talking about really old lives, we no longer seem to uh, care as much which of the two we extend. So in the case of people who have already lived thousands of years, it seems that we don't really mind if they've lived uh, 1,050 years or 1,070 years, uh, extending their lives kind of, kind of similar in terms of goodness. Let's now consider two people who have lived to uh, 85 and 95, respectively. Um, does it seem like that is sufficiently abundant life that we no longer care which of those people's lives we extend? doesn't really seem to me like uh, it does. It seems like, actually, we do think it would be better to extend the life of someone who has lived to 85 than someone who's lived to 95. Well, that makes it seem like, actually, the threshold should be above at least 85, because we're still caring about the difference in that case. Now it seems like the deprivation and the abundance arguments uh, show us that there's no place that we're happy to put this threshold. 
because actually there's there's just not even an area that they overlap in terms of where the threshold could be. I think what uh, we should learn from this is that actually it's not the case that there's some particular threshold. Uh, it's the case that uh, a better theory would be one that means that there's um, decreasing priority on extending people's lives the older they are. Um, Prioritarianism is the theory that uh, the worse off someone is, the more important it is that we help them. And what this would mean in terms of extending lives would be that the younger the person is, so the less life they've had so far, the more important it is for us to extend their life. Uh, so in the case of uh, Yuan and Olga, you could say it's more important to extend Yuan's life than Olga's life because she hasn't had as much of it. As Olga has. On the other hand, if you're comparing between Olga and someone who's 90, it seems more important to extend Olga's life than the 90-year-old's life, because there's this gradually decreasing priority, rather than a particular threshold that matters. So what this seems to mean is that the shorter the life you extend, the more value you bring about. If you give an extra quality to Yuan, you're doing something better than if you give an extra quality to Olga. Now consider that at uh, pretty short lives. So say you have someone who is uh, one year old. In order to try and uh, avoid getting into problems of gradually increasing personhood and things that you get into in uh, really young lives, try to think of someone who came into being as an adult immediately. So when we talk about someone who's one year old, we don't necessarily mean not an adult. Um, so it seems like if we uh, take this view seriously, if we provide one quality to someone who has lived one year so far, we're doing a better thing than if we provide one quality to Yuan, <coughs> she's already 30. Now this has some pretty weird uh, uh, conclusions. Now consider uh, the comparison between extending Yuan's life by one year and bringing a new person into existence for one year. In that case, it seems that we're giving uh, quality to someone who, we're providing quality to someone who's much younger than Yuan, and therefore we're doing something much better. This seems to have the weird implication that actually we should be spending all of our resources on bringing more people into existence than on extending the lives of currently existing people. Uh, Niels Holtug has called this the super repugnant conclusion of prioritarianism. So according to prioritarianism, it'd be better to bring into existence a huge number of extremely short lives than to bring into existence fewer, longer lives even if the total well-being uh, in the outcome with the longer lives were greater. You might think this is no worse than uh, the repugnant conclusion which plagues utilitarianism um, and is pretty well known, um, but actually it is worse. The repugnant conclusion is the idea that for any world containing uh, a few very well-off people, there's some world that's even better that contains only people whose lives are barely worth living. Because if you get enough people whose lives are barely worth living, the amount of well-being in that world is going to outweigh the world with the fewer, better-off people. This conclusion is actually uh, worse than that, because what it says is that even if the world with the people whose lives are barely worth living 
uh, contains less well-being than the world with the people whose lives are very clearly worth living, it would still be better because the very short, uh, for very short lives, their well-being is actually weighted higher than for very long lives. Uh, I think that this is a pretty compelling reason to think that uh, you would want to reject a theory. So in that case, it seems like we should try to work out how we can take a prioritarian view but avoid the super-repugnant conclusion. Um, Roger Crisp suggests that we should uh, go back to the actual intuition behind prioritarianism, which is that we should care about the worst-off people. Uh, one thing that he suggests, although he doesn't endorse, is that uh, if we're concerned about the worst-off, maybe we should bring about the outcome in which the worst-off person is least badly off. Okay, so go back to considering a um, case with a few people who live a long time and many people who live for a very short time. The worst off person in the second case is actually worse off than the worst off person in the first case. Because the worst off person in the first case lives quite a long time. Whereas in the second case, the worst off person lives a really short length of time. So if we just care about bringing into uh, existence the world with the least worst off, least badly off person, we should uh, typically care about worlds with longer lives in. Um, on the other hand, that also has some uh, pretty bad conclusions. So consider one case where there's a world with someone who lives to 40, and there's another world with someone who lives to 39 and a million people who live to 70. In this case, it seems we should prefer the world in which uh, there's one person who lives to 40. Because the worst off person in that world lives to 40, whereas the worst off person in the other world only lives to 39. And we totally ignore the million people who live to 70. Um, and Chris agrees that we should reject this theory for these kinds of reasons. You might think that this kind of maximin type of theory actually isn't a version of prioritarianism at all anyway. It's just motivated by the same intuition. So maybe a more plausible way of altering prioritarianism uh, to try to avoid the super repugnant conclusion um, is to adopt the person-affecting uh, intuition, which Will mentioned uh, yesterday, the idea that we should make people happy but not make happy people. In a way, this theory, um, adopting this version of prioritarianism seems to imply that uh, we shouldn't care about people who haven't yet been born. That doesn't seem to be quite right. Consider uh, we're, uh, we're thinking of distributing malaria nets, and we know that our distribution is going to take a while, and so we know that some of the lives that we'll save by distributing the malaria nets are actually ones that currently haven't been born or even conceived doesn't seem like that should prevent us from wanting to distribute the nets. It seems like if someone's going to be born, then we should care about making them healthier. And, um, so an alternative that uh, we might adopt is to say that um, it's not people who don't yet exist who don't matter, but it's people whose lives are dependent on your decision. So go back to the idea of uh, comparing extending Yuan's life uh, by a year to bringing a new person into existence who will live for a year. 
seemed earlier like we ought to bring the new person into existence because since they, they would experience the uh, quality at a younger age, that quality would be worth more than the quality that we'd provide to Yuan. But in this case, Yuan's existence doesn't depend on our decision. Whatever we decide to do, Yuan will be alive. On the other hand, the other person's life does depend on our decision. If we extend Yuan's life, the other person won't come into being at all. So maybe we should just not consider uh, their well-being when making this decision. Uh, this kind of uh, somewhat standard person affecting type of view is prone to uh, uh, the problem called non-identity problem, coined by Derek Parfit. Um, to explain this, consider um, how we should go about using up the resources that there currently are in the world uh, given climate change. Seems like we kind of have uh, two options available to us. We could really use up all of the resources in the world, in which case we'd be kind of better off, um, but people in the future would really suffer because there'd be very few resources left for them. Alternatively, we could carefully conserve resources now, uh, in which case we'd be slightly worse off, um, but people in the future would be much better off. It seems pretty clear that we should go down the conserving route. On the other hand, which people exist in the future actually depend on which of these two options we choose. Uh, depending on whether we choose to deplete all resources or conserve them, we'll uh, go about different actions, we'll meet different partners, we'll conceive children at different times. And so the group of people who are in the future and doing badly because all the resources are gone, and the group of people who exist in the future and are doing well because there are still plenty of resources left, are different groups. Um, and if we just didn't care about people whose, uh, whose existence was dependent on our decision, it seems like none of those people should be taken into account. I actually think that uh, uh, a person-affecting prioritarian view uh, can get around this by taking a mixed theory, uh, whereby it says that people's well-being always matters um, to some degree, but it's only extra-weighted, according to prioritarianism, um, if their existence isn't dependent on our action. So in the case of, uh, again, uh, considering whether we should extend Yuan's life or bring a new child into existence, we should say that there is some value to bringing the new child into existence. They're going to have, uh, they're going to have a year's healthy life, um, which is definitely worth something, but their life isn't extra-weighted for being young, unlike Yuan's life, which is extra-weighted to some degree for her being young, because she uh, would exist regardless of our decision. Um, I think that even though this uh, seems a bit more plausible, this kind of theory still has uh, problems in that it uh, doesn't see, it doesn't take the value of an outcome to depend just on properties of that outcome. Um, it takes it to depend on other things. Seems implausible to me. So here's a slightly more involved uh, example. So Zena's planning on having a child. As it is, she'll have Ali, who will live to 100. Zena's kind of a party goer, and uh, there's some chance that she's going to take some recreational pill. Don't worry, this is before she's pregnant. Um, so we're not sure which of these uh, two pills she might take. The first one, uh, 
Sorry about any dubious biology in this. Pill A would affect her womb. So if she then got pregnant, she'd have Ali, um, but Ali would only live to 50, whereas Ali otherwise would have uh, had this really long life. Uh, pill B, on the other hand, uh, would affect her ovaries, and uh, in that case, she would have Betty. And Betty uh, would also live to 50. Now, if we consider she, uh, she's wondering whether she should take a pill or not, if she's wondering whether she should take pill A or not, and she decides not, she'll have uh, Ali, who will live to 100. In this case, it seems that uh, Ali's life is not, uh, not dependent on her decision, in which case the outcome in which Ali lives to 100 uh, is more valuable than it would be if Ali's decision, if Ali's existence uh, did depend on her decision. Because the way the prioritarian theory that I, I've explained works is that it extra weights people, but it only extra weights people if um, their existence isn't dependent on your decision. Sorry, that was rather complicated. The basic <laughs> idea um, is that it seems that, um, assuming she ends up not taking the pill and does have Ali and Ali lives to 100, how valuable that world is seems to depend on whether she was deciding whether to take pill A or B, even though she didn't take either. Uh, and that seems a pretty weird state of affairs to me. It seems like there's just... Uh, some value to the world in which she has Ali and Ali lives to 100 rather than it being relevant uh, it being reliant on some option that she never took anyway um, so what I've been trying to show so far is that um, the various specific ways of cashing out fairness don't actually seem to be as compelling as um, as our intuition in general that we should extend rather than uh, that we should extend younger lives rather than older lives. Here's a case that um, might give you some idea of uh, the fact that fairness in general just doesn't seem to be the thing that's driving our intuition in this case. So, two more people, uh, Yuki and Olaf. Again, they're suffering from the same condition and they're going to die um, if we don't save them and we have only one treatment, because we're philosophers. Uh, Yuki is 35. If we save him, he'll live to 100. Whereas Olaf is 65, and if we give him the treatment, he'll live to 70. Also, because the world is gradually improving and technology's better, Yuki's life, if we save him, would actually be a bit better than Olaf's. Now, it seems just from, uh, from thinking about how much healthy life uh, is involved in uh, these cases that we should save Yuki's life. Um, but if fairness was the thing that was underlying our intuition that we should extend younger rather than older lives, it should be pushing us even more strongly in the direction of saving Yuki's rather than Olaf's life. But it seems to me that isn't actually the case. So regardless of which of these two people um, we save, there'll be a 35-year age gap between the lengths of life that they live to. And in fact, if we save Yuki... Uh, his life would be a bit better than Olaf, so the world in general will seem to be slightly less equal. So it actually seems like, in this case, uh, if we cared about equality and that kind of fairness, uh, that would seem to be pushing us towards saving Olaf's life rather than Yuki's. It also seems like whichever of the two we decide to save, 
will have saved the person who is better off. We'll either have saved Yuki and he'll live to 100 and Olaf will live to 65, or we'll have saved Olaf who will live to 70 and Yuki will only have lived to 35. So it seems like actually fairness can't be what's underlying our intuition about uh, extending lives anyway. So I have to have shown that um, the kinds of uh, moral principles which could underlie our intuition seem kind of dubious. They all seem to have various problems and maybe aren't actually what's driving our intuition. So now I'm going to consider uh, some uh, contingent facts about people and the world which might be what's actually underlying our intuitions. The first one is that... Um, it seems that our, our um, intuitive age weighting seems to track pretty closely when people are the most fertile. So we think that young adult lives are the most worth saving and our age weighting gradually drops off as people get older and it's also lower for children. Well, that makes a lot of sense from an evolutionary point of view because if you want your genes to continue, you want to be caring the most about your children at times when they could be having your grandchildren. On the other hand, that doesn't seem like something that uh, we care about. It could be something that evolution has made us to, to care about, but it actually doesn't track something we should be valuing. In particular, uh, we certainly wouldn't think that we shouldn't be extending the lives of people who are infertile, for example. So you might think that if that's what's underlying our intuition, we actually shouldn't use this when we're prioritising among health interventions. Uh, another reason you might think that we could have this intuition without it being the case that we ought to uh, implement it in health policy is that um, people tend to think that older people are less happy than younger people. Uh, a bunch of this could be to do with the fact that um, they rightly realise that older people are less healthy and that being less healthy is likely to make you less happy. But people actually... Uh, tend to guess that older people are less happy, even irrespective of them being uh, not terribly healthy. Sometimes justifications are given to do with uh, them already having read all the best books and getting kind of bored, and sometimes it's just like an intuitive kind of idea. Um, some philosophers actually have claimed that they're getting kind of bored because they've finished seeing all of the good art museums. But... Um, <laughs> So this actually doesn't, isn't borne out at all in the psychological uh, literature. When they've done studies of people, it seems that uh, far from older people being less happy, there actually seems to be a kind of U-shape in terms of happiness, with um, the lowest happiness being around uh, 30 to 40, and then people tend to get steadily happier, up to around 85 or so at times when uh, health becomes a, a strong confounding factor. Um, so again, it might be that our intuition that we should extend younger lives is based on this kind of um, general idea that people are, uh, that you can just get, get more out of life when you're younger, and that doesn't seem to be the case. On the other hand, um, I think there are empirical considerations uh, that would make us think that we have this intuition and that we should also act on it. Um, I think that the fairness uh, theories that I looked at earlier um, can illustrate these to some degree. So... We seem to feel some kind of pull that equality matters, um, but cashing out that theory seemed to make it more problematic. On the other hand, it does seem pretty clear that people in general um, feel worse if they are less well-off than other people around them. 
Um, this is borne out, for example, um, in economic studies of people's well-being compared to uh, how rich they are. It seems that people's relative wealth is actually more important to their well-being um, than their absolute wealth, apart from at like, really low levels. Um, so what could be going on uh, when we think that we care about equality is more that we care about um, people being happy, and people tend to be happier if they're more well-off. Well, that might make you think that we should uh, take this into account when we're setting health um, priorities, if we think that um, some people are just going to feel really bad about having shorter lives than other people, and they're going to feel really hard done by by society. Um, then we also looked at a theory that the worse off someone is, the more important it is to help them. That also seemed like a, um, a pretty compelling intuition. One of the things that you might think was driving that is that typically the worse off someone is, the easier it actually is uh, to help them. So in the case of poverty, this is really clear. The poorer someone is, the more value they're going to get from a certain amount of money that you could give them. Um, so does that work in the case of extending lives? Well, one way in which it might work is if you thought that people typically got less out of uh, extra years of life, the more extra years of life you gave them. So if people got less happy during their life. But I've already said that that doesn't seem to be the case. On the other hand, another way in which this might be the case is that um, it's, it is if it was typically much easier to give people uh, healthy years of life the younger they are. And that does seem to be the case. So a younger person is more likely to take well to treatment, less likely to have complications, and more likely to be healthy afterwards for a certain treatment. Um, so you, you might think that this was already taken into account in the uh, quality metric, and that seems pretty reasonable, but um, it's still important to discuss as a thing that could be driving our intuition about extending younger rather than older lives. And then the final thing that seems uh, really important in this case is economic and societal considerations. So someone um, who is... Uh, in their early 20s, it's just coming out of a period when society has been investing a lot of resources into them, has generally been kind of losing out due to their existence, um, and is about to go into their economically productive stage when they can give a lot back to society. Um, whereas someone who's reaching retirement has um, far less economic productivity left ahead of them. And likewise, uh, in the case of um, being caregivers, for example, a younger adult is more likely to be in a position where they can care for others and less likely to be in a position where others need to care for them. Um, so these kinds of considerations are going to be ones that uh, pull in favour of extending younger rather than older lives. So what should we conclude from this? Well, one thing seems uh, that we might want to conclude is that qualities and dallies do seem to track what we actually care about, the um, moral principles um, that could underlie uh, it being intrinsically better to extend younger rather than older lives uh, seemed uh, kind of implausible compared to the actual uh, intuition itself. So you might think that um, actually we're not going to take those uh, moral principles seriously and we think that we just do care about healthy life whenever it comes, when we're talking about what we intrinsically care about. On the other hand, the considerations I just discussed give some reason to think that we should actually prioritise giving health interventions to younger rather than older people um, for various uh, societal reasons and uh, empirical factors to do with how uh, people are.
if we're going to do that, it does seem important to take into consideration why we're doing that. One reason is that it might inform what kind of age weightings we apply. Uh, so assume that um, when people are most fertile doesn't quite track with when people are most economically productive. Assume that maybe their um, peak fertility is at 18, but that uh, many people are still in university until they're 21 or something. In which case, it could be that um, when people are just intuitively putting down what the age weighting should be, they put it such that the peak age weighting is at 18, because what's actually making do that is the underlying fertility <coughs> thing. But we actually don't care about fertility, it's just that evolution made us such that um, we care about those age weighting. And therefore, we should, uh, it, if that was the case, we would want to um, take this into consideration and shift the age weighting so that the peak is at uh, more like 21 rather than 18. Another um, reason that we'd want to know this is so that we know when we should change age weightings. Um, if our age weighting is based on uh, these empirical considerations rather than the underlying moral ones, uh, then uh, we might, for example, uh, want to reconsider how we weight um, lives near the end of life uh, as our health gradually improves and it becomes the case that people can continue working and continue being caregivers up until 75 or something when it used to be the case that everyone retired around 60 we might want to say that previously we've uh, downweighted uh, lives uh, dallies at age 65 and now we should upweight them a bit so I hope to have given you some kind of an idea of how uh, we should choose between extending uh, younger and older lives, both in terms of when we're working out where to donate, and also maybe in terms of uh, health policy. Thanks very much for listening.